Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Last month, I moved into my new house. Not that the house was new, mind you, but it was new to me. My husband died two years ago. And after struggling both emotionally and financially for months, I'd gotten a good job at a local software company, only an hour's drive from my hometown. For a time, things started to look up money-wise, but it was still hard to go home every day to a house filled with memories of my time with Mark. So I started saving up to get a new house next year, but this past September, my boss gave me the news that I was being promoted and transferred. The new job was two states away, and while the company was paying for moving expenses and temporary housing until I found a house I wanted, I was still caught between being nervous about moving to a place I didn't know and worried about losing my job if I couldn't quickly find a house I could afford. So, imagine my relief when, on my first house scouting trip, I found the perfect one. It was on the outskirts of town in an older, spread-out neighborhood with big yards and wide, quiet streets. The house itself had been built in the 1940s, and while it had apparently sat empty for several years, it was in surprisingly good repair. It was also way bigger than anything I could have afforded back home, with a large front porch and a second story that contained two more bedrooms and a large master bath. I moved in by the middle of November, and by the time I went home for Thanksgiving last week, I was mostly unpacked aside from a few Mark's belongings that I was keeping in storage until it hurt a little less to see them. Holidays have been especially hard since he died, but between the new job and the house and being happy to be around my family again, I've been pretty occupied and had a really good time during my visit home. But while I loved my new house, I'd be lying if a part of me didn't dread driving back to it and the relatively lonely new life it represented. Maybe that's why my first reaction to the plastic snowman in my yard was surprise and delight instead of confusion or concern. It was a very old-fashioned looking three-foot snowman wearing a red scarf and green mittens, and as my headlights swept across as I pulled into the driveway, it almost looked like it was giving me a little wave. This was late Sunday night, and I was a bit punchy from hours of driving, but I remember letting out a small laugh as I stopped the car and looked at it. It was close to the street, but too far in and well positioned to have fallen out of a truck or been placed in my yard unintentionally. I pulled up in my driveway and got out slowly, looking around as though I was going to see the responsible party waiting behind a bush close to midnight. For all I knew, it could have been there for days. I just had no idea where it'd come from. I'd met all my neighbors, at least I thought I had, and they all seemed like nice, normal people, but most of them were significantly older than I was, and I hadn't become really friendly with anyone in the past couple of weeks. Certainly not give me a random decoration friendly. 
and I didn't think anyone in my new office even knew where I was living since I'd moved out of the company's extended stay rooms. Maybe Carol in HR might, but she was hardly ever around in the first place and didn't see her trekking out here to stick a weird snowman in my yard. Because that was the other thing. The snowman was a little weird. It didn't look weathered or dirty, but it did look old, like an authentic prop from a Christmas movie set in the 50s. If someone was going to give me a Christmas decoration, why would they pick something like this? And why would you just randomly stick it in the yard rather than on the porch with a note or something? I didn't have any answers to any of this, and was too tired to care beyond a certain degree of curiosity, so I patted the snowman on its head and went inside to sleep. And when I woke up the next morning, there were two reindeer closer into the house. The snowman was still there, but now he was turned facing the house and seemed a few feet closer as well, and nearer still were the two plastic reindeer that had the same old but well-preserved look as the snowman. They were also turned toward the house as though part of some mass Christmas exodus across the lawn toward my front door. I was running late for work, so I only had time to snap a picture with my phone and jump in my car. I sent the picture to my sister and asked her what she thought. As I expected, her response was basically that it was fucking awesome and I should keep her updated if they kept adding more cool shit to the yard. The fact that they were trespassing and it was a really good sign when mystery people started weirdly fixating on you seemed to escape her. Still, maybe she had a point. Maybe it was a practical joker neighbor with a twisted sense of humor trying to welcome me to the street. Or maybe I had a work acquaintance with too much time on their hands. Maybe Carol was never at work because she was roaming the streets in a panel filled with antique decorations, scouting out yards for her next guerrilla art expedition. Or maybe a dangerous nut job had taken an interest in me. The last thought worried me but it seemed unlikely at first. And when I woke up on Tuesday with no change in the decorations, I was actually a bit disappointed. I even texted my sister and told her that I thought the phantom decorator might be done. I had to go by the grocery store that night, so it was well after dark before I got home. When I did, I saw a third reindeer and a small pair of what I suppose were meant to be carolers were sitting at the bottom of my steps. At first I felt a little happy thrill of excitement, and I grinned as I noticed that the other two reindeer and the snowmen had made their way closer in as well. But my smile faltered when I saw the front of the carolers. Just like the older decorations, they were well-kept but ancient-looking plastic, and based on their height and shape of the plastic hair, I assumed they were meant to be a small boy and girl but it was hard to be sure because their faces were gone. I don't mean they were like some decorations where the face has no features by design. This was like someone had taken a hot iron to them. In the place of a nose and eyes and singing mouth were tangled mounds of rough, melted plastic. That's when I called the police. As you might expect, that amounted to very little 
really blame them. It looked like a vaguely creepy prank of some kind, and they said there hadn't been any similar pranks reported this year. They promised to touch base with my closest neighbors just to see if anyone heard or saw anything, and one of the officers assured me that just having them ask around would likely spook whoever was doing it enough that it might very well stop. The next morning, when I sleep-stumbled into the kitchen to make coffee, I froze. Sitting on my kitchen table was a gingerbread house. It looked as though it had been sprayed with some kind of sealant at some point in the past, and while it didn't look nearly as old as the yard decorations, the translucent film coating every surface of it was run through with cracks and yellowed like an old man's toenails. And underneath the film, exploiting all the wounds and the protective seal, were the house's inhabitants. Tiny roaches worms, other small bits of hungry movement that roamed across the sugary snow-topped roof and bit little holes through the candied window panes. I could faintly smell a dry, rotting smell coming from the gingerbread house, but it was a combination of that endless movement and the sour pang of fear in my belly that made me dry wretch into the sink several times before I was able to call 911 again. That was on Wednesday. The police seemed more concerned, but could still do very little. I said the neighbors hadn't seen anything, but that they would follow back up with them about this latest invasion. So I had all the locks changed during an extended lunch break, and that night after work, I spent money I didn't have to buy a couple of little security cameras. You know, the Wi-Fi type you can pretty much put anywhere, and they have night vision, this morning, I woke up with my bedroom filled with tiny Christmas figurines, all made of discolored, cracked porcelain and ranging from cardinals wearing festive hats to dancing elves with hands of full toys. They were everywhere, from my nightstands to the dresser and on both windowsills. I eased out of the bed slowly, thinking to check underneath before putting my feet down. There was nothing there, but as I stepped back from the bed, something else caught my eye. A small porcelain angel was laying on my pillow next to where my head lay, and like the carolers outside, its face had been burned away. I'm too shaky to drive at the moment, so my sister's coming back to pick me up and carry me back to my parents' house in the next couple of days. Maybe the police will find something, someone, and make it stop. At least I think I have their attention now. Because aside from the figurines, I also thought and pulled up the cloud-recorded camera video from last night. For the most part, there was nothing. But at 3.38 a.m., one of the cameras caught seven seconds of movement. It was the faint silhouettes of three shapes moving up the stairs toward my bedroom and one of the three roaming shadows seemed to be dressed like Santa Claus. I wake up to the sound of my sister drowning. Tied to a chair, it's one of my kitchen chairs that I've always been so proud of because it was the first set of furniture me and Mark bought as a married couple. Hardwood, well made. So well made that it doesn't even creak as I thrash against it. 
cords of the Christmas lights binding me to the chair, cutting into my arms and breasts as I push and pull against them. I have the crazed thought that I'm all lit up because someone has bothered to plug in the lights, but I push aside as I hear a new terrified gurgle as they begin drowning my sister again. I call out for them to leave her alone, to leave us both alone, but I know in my heart there's no point to my words. So instead, I begin trying to shimmy and turn my chair enough so that I can see what they're doing to her, as though bearing horrified and helpless witness will make it better that they're killing Melanie. There are two figures holding her down. One is an average-looking man in his late fifties. Well, average-looking, except for the frenzied sweat pouring down his face and his insane expression full of wide eyes and skinned black teeth. Skinned back. What the hell happened to my clicker? Well, average looking except for the frenzied sweat pouring down his face and his insane expression full of wide eyes and skinned back teeth. It's hard to say if he was angry or excited, but as he grasped Melanie's ankles tight enough to make his hands go white, I realized it made little difference. He was gripped by the same fervor that was driving the two monsters in the room. The first of the others might have been a woman once. It was hard to say because of how twisted her flesh was and how distorted her features had become. I had the thought that she was a candle made of wax and human fat and carved to look like a person. A candle that was held to some terrible flame long ago until the eyes drooped and ran and the nose peeled away into a flattened bulge with two uneven holes for air. And the mouth. The mouth was filled with rotten little pegs of yellowed ivory as it hung open at the bottom of her head like an open, festering wound. She held Melanie's shoulders and alternated between looking at her and at me with her deep-set black pig eyes, all the time working a grayish-green striped candy cane at the corner of her lips. It looked like strips of red, wet meat. The woman thing let out a titter as Melanie tried to struggle again. My sister was strong, but she was clearly already tired, and the creature easily pressed her shoulders flat again as the next jug was made ready. Presiding over it all, dressed in tattered rags that likely had once been very expensive Santa suit, was the third thing. It looked like an old, sinister tree than a candle or a man. The odd bits of its body and joints making the soil red coat shift and poke like a sack holding a large, struggling spider. It held the jugs of what smelled like eggnog over Melanie's face and poured them slowly in the general direction of her mouth and nose, each new gallon causing my sister to sputter and choke again. For all the lack of care in getting in her mouth, the Santa creature seemed very deliberate and intent on his work. His face was still primarily human, showing the worn features of an old man, a thin man with a patchy gray beard and sad, roving eyes that sometimes seemed to flicker with a dim green light. The man's lips were thin and ceaselessly moving as he poured, his eyes locked on Melanie's as he slowly killed her. 
He kept saying the same word over and over, his deep, dry voice seeming to constantly be on the verge of breaking with emotion. Believe. 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 Three hours earlier, I was sitting at the police station waiting for my sister to come pick me up when I got a text from her. At the house. Where are you? I felt my heart start thudding in my chest. I'd specifically told her that I would wait at the police station for her because I didn't want to go back to the house. What made her go there? Fumbling with my phone, I tried to quickly call her, but I was interrupted by another text. I think I saw you inside. I'm coming in. I punched the button to call her, but it just rang and rang and rang before going to voicemail. I tried a second time as I started heading up to the front desk at the station to ask for help. That's when I saw she was calling me back. Hello? Mel, get out of- You need to come home, Clarissa. It was an older man's voice, but it was unfamiliar. You need to come home so we can get started. If we have to start without you or ask your police friends to come, well, it won't go well for her and we'll still catch up with you later. Please. Let her go. I'll come back, that's fine. Just let her go first. I thought I heard a brief, sour laugh from the man. Mm. We just need the two of you to help us with something, and then we'll be on our way. Promise. I went to the house without telling anyone. A dozen times I almost went to the police or called 911, but each time I saw the image of my sister torn apart except for her beautiful face. Her dead eyes stared at me, accusing me, saying that she was only dead because she tried to help me. Because of something, if not exactly, my fault. It was at least my responsibility. So I went back to my house and stifled a gasp as it came into view. The yard was now full of plastic snowmen and reindeer, candles and carolers that had stood too close to a flame. Most of them were pointed toward the house like an angry mob, but a handful were turned to where I parked in the driveway behind Melanie's car. It was as though they were to usher me in, and as I stepped out of my car, I saw a path had been cleared all the way to the front door. I glanced around for Melanie outside, but it was a dim hope. I knew where she'd be. Stepping up onto the porch, I pushed at the door, feeling no surprise when it swung in quietly. I could already smell the gagging aromas that filled my house. Cinnamon pine needles mixed with spoiled meat and soured milk. Holding a hand in my nose, I stepped in and called out for my sister. When I heard nothing, I called out to them. I'm here, okay? Now please, just let her go. Use me for whatever it is you need, and then please leave us both alone. I swallowed, trying to not think about what would come next. Whatever unknown torture or shame was waiting for me in the shadows. The main thing was to try and get Melanie out. I just had to focus on that. That thought, that goal steeled me for a few seconds as I went deeper into the house. I saw 
with unsurprised dread that there was a large, lopsided Christmas tree in the living room now, its discolored branches decorated by a combination of lights, old-fashioned ornaments, and various small dead things and bits of bone. Even from a distance, I thought I saw pieces of at least three small animal skeletons strung together and draped around like a macabre tensile. Just then I saw movement at the corner of my eye and turn. They were coming out to greet me. I don't know how to describe this next in a way that will make sense, but I'll do my best. One of them, the man that appeared to be human, was stepping out of a door made into one wall that I never knew existed. It swung closed behind him with a silent solidity that left no seam in the wallpaper or other sign of a secret door existing at all. But the other two... They flowed down the walls somehow, their shapes pushing beneath the wallpaper, making it stretch before going back with no sign of what had just passed beneath it. The moving bulges slowly worked their way where the wallpaper met the baseboard, and then there they pulled themselves out into the room like decaying toothpaste squeezed from a tube. I have trouble remembering this. I think because my mind couldn't really understand what I was seeing, but in a matter of moments, they were standing before me even as the other man was approaching me slowly. Easy now. It's better if you don't fight. Just give up and it'll be easier. Promise. His mouth twisted into a cruel smile at that last part, and the next moment I was dashing back through the house with the goal of either finding Melanie or making it out the back door to get help. I never could have come here alone. I never... And then I woke up to my sister drowning. I think... She'd been dead for the last two junks worth of the rancid eggnog concoction. My screaming and tears during the last few minutes had pushed me into kind of an exhausted stupor. I felt burned out and used up, and for the moment I didn't care what they did. I deserved it for letting Melanie die. But when the man touched my chin gently, I jerked back in surprise, and looking up at his somber expression, I felt a new wave of anger and hatred filling me. You motherfucker. I'll fucking kill you for what you did. I looked behind him to where the two monsters were gently wiping Melanie off like they were apologetically cleaning up a spill. Don't you fucking touch her, you fucking freaks. The man tapped my chin lightly, and when I looked back up, his gaze was hard. Don't be rude to my parents. They meant your sister no harm. We're only doing what we have to, and you're the one that brought her into this. I gritted my teeth. That's a lie. I told her not to come here. He nodded, a small smile passing over his face. That's true. While I'm not skeptical like they are yet, they've passed along a few tricks and talents. The last few words sounded like my voice, and my widening eyes brought the smile back. None of us wanted to trick or hurt her. I don't want to hurt you either, but we need you to believe. I shook my head slowly. You're insane. Belief? Believe in what? God? That small, sour laugh again. 
I saw his monstrous parents had finished cleaning Melanie, neglecting to get up the gallons of strange eggnog congealing on the floor. <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. Just believe in the holiday of Christmas. We're not after religious or spiritual beliefs, just the trappings. He leaned closer as he continued in a conspiratorial whisper. You know, reindeer, sleigh bells, mistletoe. We've been trying to give you Christmas spirit for days, but you haven't been very receptive. Raise his hands as he continued in a lower voice. I know, I know. Their methods can be off-putting. They put out the gingerbread house without my knowing it. <laughs> he gave a chuckle. I mean, I've been staying in the house a lot since you moved in, but I still have a job and other responsibilities. Sighing, he looked back over his shoulder and... They began to move closer. <sighs> to be honest, I think they're going insane. But you need to understand it's not their fault. They're going insane? What about you? I was tired of this. If he was going to kill me, just do it and get it over with. The man tapped my chin again, a bit harder this time. Touché. Tell her... The Man-Thing's voice was booming, but at the same time it was somehow hollow, like a storm's wind pushing between dead winter trees. Explain why she must believe. A look of irritation passed over the son's face. Getting to that. He stood up and took a couple of steps back. When I was a teenager, my parents got a mysterious invitation to a hotel out west called the Imago. They never heard of it, but when they asked around, they found that it was some big deal fancy place that only the super rich and powerful ever visited. We're talking ten stars out of five star hotels. But the hotel apparently picked lottery winners once a year. How they selected them or even knew my parents existed, we never found out. But my father was an accountant. My mother worked the front office for a pediatrician. They'd never have another chance like this, so they jumped at it. The man sat down in one of the other kitchen chairs, seemingly oblivious to the liquid soaking into his pants. His expression grew darker, but more sane, as he looked off into the far wall. When they came back a week later, they were different. At first, in positive ways, but... They both seemed younger, stronger, smarter, even... He puffed out a breath. And they could do things. Things that seemed like magic. When I'd asked them about it, they would laugh it off, but I knew they were lying. In time, things started to swing back the other way. They were sick a lot, and they seemed to be aging, changing almost overnight. By the time I was 25, they couldn't leave the property. They'd become bound to it somehow. By the time I was 30, well, it wasn't good for anybody to see them anymore. And they'd taken to disappearing into the bones of this place by then, anyway. We've spent so many years trying to fix what happened to them, and despite their problems, I've spent all that time trying to become like they once were. Because what they were, it was wonderful. Their mistake was leaving the Imago. They're sick because they came back here for me. This was all insane. Just kill me. I don't believe in any of this. A bunch of crazy bullshit. 
He leaned forward and slapped me across the face before I could pull back. When he spoke, his voice was hard and dangerous. Just listen. They want you to understand so you don't think they're being mean, that they're bad people. They want you to hear it, so you're going to fucking listen. Clearing his throat, they continued. They figured out that whatever magic they got from that place, if they can get a bit of it back, they'll be able to leave this house and go back to the hotel, to the special room they had there. And all they think they need is someone to believe. He stood up, his face drawn as he began to pace. I tried to do it for them, but it didn't work. We'd had a couple of prior owners, but it didn't go well. Maybe because terrifying someone with old creepy decorations isn't the way to give someone Christmas spirit. He chuckled and nodded. <laughs> you know, you might be right. But like I said, they aren't thinking as clearly as they used to, brain rot and all. Turning back, he looked at me with a glint in his eye. Sometimes, I think I may be slipping a little myself, but we've made do with what we had on hand and had to hope for the best. The woman thing stepped forward and pulled something from ragged remains of a pocket in the father's Santa coat. Her voice was thick, hard to understand as she tried to talk around her moldering candy cane. Please help us. Help us be free and get back. Despite everything, I felt myself feeling sorry for her. I didn't know what to say or what to believe, and I knew I wasn't going to be any help to them, even if it was true. The only thing I knew for sure was that I was about to die when they saw that this was pointless. And I felt some grim satisfaction in knowing that they wouldn't get what they wanted after what they had done, however pitiful they might appear. But then the front door was banging open and I heard men shouting. I was turned away from the commotion, but within a matter of moments, the sun was heading toward me and then being yanked backward by the inertia of multiple bullets striking him at once. I think he was dead before he hit the floor, and I saw his ruined parents glance at him sadly before fading back into the walls of that place. I caught a flutter of movement as the woman dropped what she had been holding in her twisted fingers. Two policemen were talking to me now, the same one that had taken my earlier reports. I could tell they were both shaken, and though they were calling an EMT, I knew it was too late for Melanie or the son of the things that killed her. After I was freed, I managed to swipe the paper his mother had dropped, though I didn't get to look at it right away. First, I had to give a heavily modified version of what happened, leaving out the monster parents that were still living in the walls of that fucking house. The police didn't press hard, and judging by the haunted looks, those two men had caught a glimpse of the truth before it had faded back into hiding. Either way, I was released to my parents, released to tell them that their other daughter was dead. I considered telling him the whole truth, but what was the point? They would just worry that their surviving daughter was insane. When we were on the way back home, back to my real home, I finally dug out the piece of paper and looked at it. It was a faded invitation that was surprisingly clean and well-preserved. I thought of that woman creature holding it out toward me as some kind of pleading explanation. It was probably their most prized possession. 
It came from the place they needed to get back to, after all. It said, The Imago Hotel cordially invites you to an all-expenses-paid trip to enjoy our hospitality. You've been selected for this very unique and life-changing experience, which includes access to all our amenities and seven days, six nights stay in one of the most celebrated of renowned holiday rooms. The room chosen for you is the Christmas room. You'll be contacted again shortly to confirm your arrival time. I studied the card in the dim light of the passing countryside, tears stinging at my eyes. I had no idea what Amy this was, and I didn't want to know. All I knew was that I'd lost enough and wanted no part of whatever this card had or might still represent. So I rolled down the window and let the rushing air take it away. I hope it's never found, but if it is, let it be far away from me. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed the story tonight. I know I did. Uh, maybe it's a little too early for a Christmas-themed story. I, th I guess it's not even Thanksgiving yet, but, uh, I mean, it's whatever. I really enjoyed it, and there'll be a couple more. There'll be a couple more, uh, before Christmas, I'm sure. So, just keep an eye out for those. I do have a question. Given that this whole story was about Christmas decorations, and Christmas is coming up, when do you start putting out decorations? When do you start planning out gifts and things like that? I know my mom, she will buy gifts months, two months in advance. If she sees something on sale that she thinks someone that she buys for will like, she'll grab it and hide it for two and a half months. <laughs> She's done it before. So I'm interested to see if anyone else does that, if their parents do that or if you've done that. Uh, and again, when do you start celebrating, or not celebrating, sorry, when do you start decorating for Christmas? When do the Christmas lights go up? Let me know in the comment section down below. Thanks again, everyone, for listening tonight. Hope you all have a wonderful day, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. And as always, stay safe out there. <laughs>